0: it's our first one in a few weeks, though we've we've taken a little bit of a break. We hadn't planned on it, but uh, life got in the way a little bit. Uh, plenty's gone on, including you finishing your MBL one season. Mate, how did it end up?
1: Uh, we got knocked out in straight sets uh, versus the two teams that end up playing off in the grand final. We lose to Geraldton, the eventual winners in Geraldton by one point. Um, and we lose to Joondalup at home uh, four nights later um, uh, by four points. Um, you know what? It was a great season. I, I, sh- I scratched the so called itch that I had to uh, get back out and play competitive basketball. Uh, the question is do I go around next season? Yeah, um, and- that's something I'll figure out after Christmas. Uh, at this stage, but uh, I have managed to uh, get back out there and do a couple of runs and all that post-season already. Uh, so I guess that's a good sign that the body pulled up well enough for to potentially go around again next season.
0: Well, the minute you decide you're not going to go around again, whether it's this year, next year, and three years times. Uh probably topical, you become a full-time member of the has-beens again and you won't miss any more tournaments. So that's, uh, that's really good news. <laughs> now, we wanted to um, we wanted to start on the Boomers. Uh, the Boomers have just had a three-game series in Melbourne. Uh, it's the first time that Boomers have been on international <laughs> soil with a, a full-strength or as close to a full-strength team as possible uh, since Team USA came. Um, it, it's a, it was a big one for Basketball Australia. They Reaped some financial benefit from it. Uh, clearly, there were rumours early on about Slovenia and or Greece coming out, which would have been incredible if we had have had Janis or Lucas or Luca coming in. But really liked what Basketball Australia and the Boomers did um, off the court as well. And before we get to the on-court, um, one of the traditions that the Boomers have started is uh, presenting each former player with and a Kubra similar to the Australian cricket team's Baggy Green that uh, has a number embroidered on the side as to the number Boomer you are. So I received mine and as I look at it now, it's got number 93 on the side, essentially meaning I was the 93rd Boomer. And I know there's, uh, there's plans in place to get you yours when you're next in town and around the group, but um, pretty special thing that they've gone and done Um recognizing the old boomers, uh, getting them in touch and connecting probably more so with the current boomers. And, I don't know, it just feels like a, a tradition that's got legs and one that is a step towards building the culture that we hear so much about.
1: Yeah, really special. And um, I know for myself, who wasn't able to be there on the night, but for, for you, uh, for Sammy Mack, for Luke Kendall, so many of my mates uh, to receive it, on the one night, it's really cool. And we talk about the cultural piece of the, the Boomers and what it's become. Um, it's one thing to say there's a good culture there. There's another thing to prove or to show to people that there is and um, what they've installed and what they've created to make the Boomers of the past feel part of this Boomers team. Like The, the current Boomers management has created – Buying investment for us ex boomers to continue to support the team that we we all love already, um, and 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 that's a really cool part. It's a we shouldn't take it for granted as past players, uh, but it's really cool to be involved in what this current crop is still do, uh, yeah. currently doing.
0: We we do need to, or we don't need to, but I'm going to, and I, I know you'll join. There's um, there's one person in particular I think that's been instrumental in this. Uh, He's a close friend of yours and mine, and while he was in the business world, actively sought to get no attention drawn towards him, but the president of the Australian Basketball Players Association is our friend Greg O'Neill, who used to own Latrobe Financial. Um, His impact in funding nights like this, being able to put (laughs) events like this on for not only the Boomers, but the Opals as well. Uh, just it's incredible what he does and what he invests to get this thing going to a stage where eventually it'll be able to fund itself. But to get this off the ground, just a, a massive thank you to Greg O'Neill because without him, this simply doesn't happen.
1: I um, go back to the when I was president of the Players Association and, and the amount of work that Jacob Holmes was doing single-handedly at stages, like, to try and get this thing off the ground. And um, when I was leaving, uh, playing and, you know, stepping down as the president, um, getting someone like Greg was a top priority to bring a business sense and a legitimacy to what the Players Association, now, what Greg and and Jacob and, and so many others have done from that point has been – unfathomable for someone like myself who was watching you know constantly hitting roadblocks and and what wasn't happening uh to see what he's been able to done not only in this space but being able to bring in someone who's a full-time psychologist for the players and 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 little things that mean so much to the playing group um that they might not even realize right now but you can look from the out. I can look from the outside in, and I'm sure you can too, and just understand how much growth there's been over the past five years. It's just been it's, it's incredible. It's incredible.
0: It is, mate. And and the other thing that's incredible <coughs> is the expectation that the Boomers have now. Every time they go into a major event, and uh, we've seen them against three teams. Uh, we don't have to worry about predicting who we think is going to be the last player cut because, unfortunately, Jock Landales, well, he sustained a a serious ankle injury in the third game against South Sudan, so that ruled him out. He's not going to travel with the team. So the team's locked in uh, to compete in the World Cup. Um, I said before we even started with Jock that we were tiny. Uh, We've become smaller again. So for me, that's going to be our biggest challenge. But how did you see the games and how do you see the upcoming World Cup?
1: Yeah, my few takeaways from it um, is, yes, it's it sucks that Jock's not going to be there because he was going to be an integral part of this, this boomer's team. Um, you've played for Gorge and I've played for Gorge. And so as soon as it happened, I knew exactly where Gorge's mindset was, was prepare for the worst. If he's there, great. However, we move on with this next uh, the current crop. And then I, I got thinking and, and as we record this on a, on a Sunday morning, uh, we have a practice match against France at two o'clock today, which has both Rudy Gobert and Victor Webanyama. So it's going to be interesting to see that. No, that's
0: you know, when Yama, right?
1: When out. He's out, is he? Yeah. Well, he, he, still... He's not
0: playing in the world cup.
1: Good. Uh, still, they've got Rudy Gobert to contend with. Um, so it's going to give us an idea of what we're going to look like. For me, uh, what we do have, <clears throat> if we could slide ourselves into gorgeous shoes for two seconds, was what we do have is we have versatile bigs uh, that are all unselfish that can all make great reads. Duop Reith becomes our starting center now. Uh, Xavier Cooks probably plays a lot more of that backup five position, and we go small ball basketball with you know Nick Kaye, Joe Ingles in the four, uh, Jack White playing spot minutes in the four, Xavier Cooks playing minutes in the four and the five. Uh, there's a heavy workload. The one thing I like about our bigs is they're all capable uh, passers off a short roll. And I think uh, that allows us to get our shooters more shots if we've got guys that are great in that position. Um
0: well, just on that, I agree. One thing we have to be and we didn't see in these three games, they've got to be capable scorers out of the short roll too. Otherwise, they're not going to leave. So yep. the, the reluctance to to shoot that free throw line jumper that you know Xavier didn't want to do it. Uh, Jack didn't see himself in that position as much, but they've got to be competent scorers out of the short roll too.
1: I agree. And I thought Xavier was better in game three than what he was in game one and two. In that position, I think he got a few where he just went hard at the rim and finished finished over a couple of people. Um,
0: can, can I just say it? I'm, I'm keep jumping in, but yep. that's not going to get it done against Gobert and the and, and the, the European bigs. He, he's got it. When I say he, those fours and fives need to be able to shoot that uncontested. If they're driving into seven foot two, seven foot three every game, it's not South Sudan so mm-hmm. when I, I guess competent score I mean you, you've got to be willing to shoot that the free throw line jump shot or a little push shot in there, otherwise it's they're going to be long games.
1: Well, we both know that Nick Kaye and both Duopreath can do that
0: correct, and that's going to be critical
1: absolutely um, I think Xavier Cooks and Jack White give us a different look um. And their, their their presence is probably going to be felt more on the defensive end. Now, I, I threw out a tweet during the week that Gorge would enjoy being able to coach um, a group that consists of a Josh Green, a Matisse uh Xavier Cooks, a Jack White, a Nick Kay. He has multiple pieces that can cause havoc. And um, when I watched even the first game, uh, granted against Venezuela. But, I mean, Matisse Thybul just causes so much havoc. He sort of reminds me, um, for me, having to play against dmac when I first came to the league. And you'd look at reversing the ball when you'd see D- dmac defending someone and your automatic instinct was just... Let's just reverse it and go the other way. Like, try and keep it away from him. And Matisse Theibel did that in game one. I think Josh Green had elements of that in game two. I think both Jack and Xavier, across all three games, were very good defenders uh, in games uh, one, two, and three. We might not have the offensive punch from the bigs, but we definitely have the defensive capabilities and uh that would be exciting for me if i was if you, we can find a way to score enough points um and while i while we're talking about scoring the knee-jerk reaction from the australian public on Patty's shooting no, like give give it a break
0: yeah but uh, i didn't even listen to any of that no uh, patty's a world class shooter he hasn't but, you know one of the things we said is he didn't play many games this year he didn't get game rhythm mm-hmm. every game he plays he gets better and better simple yeah simple.
1: And when the bright lights come on, we can guarantee that Paddy will be there and shooting well for us. So, and, and that's a hard
0: thing, isn't it? And I'm going to jump onto it in a minute. Is that you know, We watched. I know you watched, and a lot of people are listening to this watched the Chris Appleby documentary, Mad Rise, on Nine Gem, I believe it was. Yep. Um, or Nine Go, but if you didn't see it, wait until it comes back out again. It was a really you can watch it, was, it on Nine now, right? Nine now, now. okay. It was a really yeah. fantastic look at where basketballs come from and where it sits at the moment and you know for you and I and probably me being a bit older, it was great to see some of the old heads and hear some of the opinions and relive what we went through in the 90s but the the documentary was centered around the dominance of the USA and tied it back in at the end by Australia beating the USA um, at the Marvel Stadium game and how far we'd come as a nation now in watching these three games, it's really, really interesting because as we sit here and say it's only a preseason game, pretty much, it's a practice game, it's an exhibition, it's a friendly, we have to remember that's exactly what it is. But we also, at some level, need to remember that's exactly what the Marvel Stadium games were. They were practice games. Mm-hmm. So, You know, for Brazil, we we need to recognise that that's a really big win for Brazil. They're not what they used to be in the 90s with Oscar Schmidt and some of those champions. But a big win for them. If we say it's not important for us at some level in the same breath, we have to say that the the game where the USA beat us at Marvel Stadium wasn't as important to them either. And, you know, you've kind of got to pick and choose a little bit as to what you consider important.
1: Uh, I'd... Don't disagree with anything you say. I think the the important piece that came out of the Brazil game was between the Brazil game to the game uh, this coming Friday, our first game, we'd need to work on some sort of zone offense <laughs> because yeah. there was quite clearly not much. I think Gorgon cool. said in the press conference that they got to shoot around at 3.30 that day and decide because Venezuela threw a little bit of a zone and it stumped them a little bit, and they walked through something uh, two hours before the game of what their zone offense was going to look like. That will be rectified come Friday, this
0: week. With all the talk of how many NBA players we have, I know that they say that the NBA play inverted comma zone, but it's mm -hmm. a switching man, and you still can't set yourself in the paint. When you have a team almost exclusively made up of NBA guys, and I know Xavier Cook's only been there a minute and Chris Golding's on the team, but you keep you, your starters, Xavier, uh, uh, Matisse,
1: and Do hasn't, up,
0: hasn't seen a zone maybe since college. You know, Josh Giddy hasn't seen one since Adelaide. It's an unfamiliar situation. We need to spend, you're right it's another achilles heel of having a team made up almost exclusively of nBA guys just sitting you mentioned Rudy gobert already sitting seven foot two in the paint no defensive three set you don't have to leave so your strategy's got to be different and the nBA guys have to adjust
1: yep yep
0: now, any other thoughts on that mad rise docco before we move on
1: um it, i mean it the nostalgia of it for me like even going back to when I was a kid and I was a, a Wildcats fan growing up, you know, and and seeing, like, remembering the crowds that used to come to an NBL game back in the day. Um, I don't think I said it to you. I think I said it to someone else. Um, obviously, um, it was nice seeing the highlights I probably played through the lowest period of the NBL as well, and it might be a nice sequel one day. I'll, I'll probably be the spokesperson having lived through uh, a defunct Sydney Kings, a defunct uh, Dragons, a defunct Gold Coast Blaze at that time. Um,
0: you know, you know it, what? The, the quality didn't deteriorate. I think within the sport we knew how good a quality on-court product we were providing, the, the, just the business, the ownership didn't stack up.
1: Yeah, I, I, I agree. But it was nice. You know, I'd, I'd seen all that stuff about DMAC before, but it was nice to relive it. It was nice to go through Luke's stuff again. It was nice to hear your story again. Like, the basketball today has been made up of stories of people that come before us and um, the history of, of the boomers and, and what that was. Scott Fisher was hilarious. I, I love Scott Fisher's <laughs> line and all of that. That was... That was one of the better lines that you'll hear on a documentary.
0: Bartley, Shane Hill, line yeah, you're
1: yeah. To. yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I, I loved it. I'd sat back and you know I had a, I had a smile from ear to ear just watching that whole thing. And I think if that was, if it was to educate the Australian public of what has come before us, for me, it was a nice reminder of what, what had happened before us as well.
0: You know what? It's the second thing. I, the last time I let my youngest son who's now eight sit up late like that to watch a game it was when the Boomers beat Slovenia for their bronze because I wanted him to understand the importance. Yeah. Um, I must admit I let him sit up again and watch that Docker. Um, it was a lot of fun. Now last question on the Boomers and this is one I think we probably maybe have differing opinions a little bit um, but given the recent events where, and let's not get political here but Victoria handed back the rights to the Commonwealth Games um, I know that you rate your gold medal at the Commonwealth Games really highly with the guys you played with and beating New Zealand in the gold medal. It's it's actually a tournament that I chose to make myself unavailable for given how long the seasons I've played were. And for me, I always sort of considered it – I didn't consider it a Tier 1 tournament. You're mm-hmm. playing against New Zealand and that's it, really. Um, and I guess that's a very – and so when you see the Commonwealth Games – they're coming up. You're looking. You think, why did you know? There's a thought. Why did we bid for it in the first time? It's only inverted commas the Commonwealth Games. Tell me your experience of representing the Boomers at the Commonwealth Games, and yeah, you know, it's not a World Cup. It's not an Olympic Games. How important and how much of a highlight was that tournament?
1: Um Well, for me, it was. It was. I think we we're probably at different stages of our careers. At that stage, I was. I think in my second year as a pro um, and for me, playing for the, the Boomers was, because I never, pl- similar to you, I never played for the Boomers as, as a junior. So when I was young as a pro, playing for the Boomers to me was everything. Um, my best memory of the Com Games is honestly still walking out for the opening ceremony at the MCG, 100,000 people, like that—that is, that is uh, something that will never be replaced in my mind. Of something that I'd ever be able to do again. As far as the attention is on you with a hundred thousand people going out. Now the quality of basketball—different story. Um, there's some of the teams that we played against. You know, we we ran all over them and, and wasn't competitive. And the only competitive game was against New Zealand because there are always competitive games versus New Zealand. Um, so I, I look at the com games as the whole experience for me, the experience of playing in Australia, the, the experience of playing in front of the 10,000 people, um, at uh, what stadium was it back then? sense I know it's John Kane now, but the old Hisense, uh, arena back then. For some
0: reason I thought I remembered you playing the preliminary games at the State Netball and Hockey Centre.
1: Um... No, we played them everywhere. We were out at okay. Bendigo and Ballarat, and, right, right. and then it was only the. I think the the game versus England in the semi-finals. I can't even remember where that that might have been at the State Hockey and Netball Centre. But then, to think during that period, like if you got a big crowd at the NBL, there'd be you know four thousand people there to play at John Cain with over 10,000 people and the prime ministers there, it became a big deal, you know, for us at that stage. Um, and like I said, that, that opening ceremony and closing ceremony, um, just good memories. I'd I'd imagine to a lesser degree, what it'd be like walking out at Sydney, you know, in front of all those people, um, for the Olympics. So, uh, good memories for me, quality of basketball, not that great. Um, Interesting that we'd try and host the com game since we just had it at the Gold Coast not that long ago as well, um, and it and it has been a total shit show. where they say? It's going to cost another three hundred and eighty million dollars not to have it now. So yeah, Again,
0: let, let, let's not let's leave the politics to the politicians. A lot in basketball has happened, and I've I've got a little bit of a list, and this is a bit of a probably a review. We haven't spoken. We haven't had a podcast since the Summer League. Um, yep. So I'm going to throw a few names at you, a few ideas, and we'll see how this ends up. Uh, Chet Holmgren, were you able to see him play at the Summer League and the impact you think he might have for the OKC Thunder?
1: Yeah, we're sort of in the um, the rose-coloured glasses of Victor Webb and Yama, and we forgot how good Chet Holmgren's going to be. Right. <laughs> so... Yeah, um, I think he's going to be – is he eligible to be Rookie of the Year? Yes, he is. I think he's going to be Rookie of the Year. There you go. I think he'll be the best first-year player this season.
0: He was certainly impressive, and uh, he adds to OKC. While well, we're on OKC, I thought Jalen Williams, that they got enough out of him, and there was a phrase going around – the Summer League this year that I thought was really interesting for a lot of NBA teams and it was uh, second-year players' proof of work. So as soon as they brought in a second-year player to represent the team at the Summer League, what they really wanted to see is that that player had been put in, had put in the work in the offseason already and they were where they needed to be. Um, it was almost a, a line in the sand as to how they would prepare them and Jalen Williams... From OKC, he, you know, one game he's done. He, he was really, really impressive. So when you've got Chet, you've got Jalen uh, Williams stepping up. Um, it's going to be a fascinating watch, of course, with Josh Giddey at OKC. But um, the other standout, I don't know if you saw him play at all, Keegan Murray uh, from the Sacramento Kings. One game, 41 points, five assists. They just sat him. Um, was... Really, really excited to see what he looks like at Sacramento in year two. Um The next person I want to ask you about, I probably should have asked while we're talking about the Boomers, thought he had a really good summer league but probably struggled in the green and gold was Dyson Daniels. Your thoughts on how Dyson's uh, development's going?
1: He was the one player that looked really uncomfortable in the Boomers' uniform, I thought. Um, And maybe that was him not knowing when he was going to go on and when his jersey was going to get called. Um, I liked what he did at the summer league. I thought he'd definitely grown in areas there. Um, and I guess with all the shit that's been going around with new Orleans, if you're, if you're a player there, you just want to put your head down and get to work and put your best foot forward. Um, because that's probably what the organization's looking for at the moment is, is people who are, are being able to do the job and, I really liked what he did summer league. Um, I was hesitant of his minutes uh, in the lead up, but yeah, hopefully he is able to find his mojo, but I think that he would probably be in that 11th, 12th bracket in the Boomers roster as it stands. I would have thought if Jock Landau didn't go down, he would be the one for me that wouldn't have made the team.
0: The last note I've got written down, and it's more a statement than it is a question at this stage, but I've been pretty strong on this for a while now and recent events have further strengthened. The note I'd written down a couple of weeks ago was Joel Embiid, Karl-Anthony Towns or Zion Williamson will play playoffs for the New York Knicks this year. Um, With what has happened with James Harden and Daryl Morey, it's not going to be Cat and it's not going to be Zion. I'm, I'm on record now as saying Joel Embiid will be a New York Knick for the playoffs this year.
1: I know we've spoken about this previously. Um, this Philly thing has just got out of hand um, with Harden and what's going on and the investigation now that is on of why he said what he said. Um, if you're Joel Embiid... Why would you want to stay? Why would anyone want to stay, to tell you the truth? Why would anyone want to stay? Um, And so that would be be exciting. What New York would have to give up for it, I'm sure. They'd want to get off Randall. Um, I'm sure that they would have to get off uh, uh, Robinson as well. They'd give Um, off
0: Fournier's contract probably. Fournier. And find a way. And they've got draft draft picks. picks
1: And draft picks. Yeah. yeah, that, that that would make a lot of sense. Um, Philly probably wouldn't want to do it, but if this drags out the way that it – and keeps going the way that it's going, uh, it'd be and, and opportunistic it not, for Philly New York to step
0: want, in. Philly might not want to do it all they like, but, you know, Portland didn't want to trade Damian Lillard. It's a player-driven market now. If Joel Embiid says, I'm out, mm-hmm. and I want to go to a particular club, he'll get this. Yep. It might take a little bit of time, but he'll get there.
1: Um, you've given me a little bit of no warning. Can I give you one with no warning?
0: You know how much I like this, yeah, of course.
1: Alana Smith and her level of play currently in the WNBA.
0: Incredible. It has just been fantastic. And I compare what she's doing in the WNBA, having missed the Opals team to compete in the World Cup, keeping in mind to what Josh Kitty did in the NBA in his rookie year when he missed the Boomers team to go to the Olympic Games. I, I think she's established herself as one of Chicago's best players. Um, they're a competitive team without being a championship threat. Uh, she, her, her level of play has improved significantly over the last 12 months. It's been great to watch her on both ends of the floor, um, been great to watch her development. I, I mean, I can't speak highly enough of, you know, I, I suppose that I should, the last part of this is I've coached a lot of junior basketball and I've seen more as of you. Isn't it interesting to see how well the, the sons and daughters of former players do compared to others oftentimes? Because they get developed the right way from a young age, and it's not a, it's not a race to be the best you can be, but you want to give yourself the best chance of getting there. And so many parents don't give this give their kids the best chance of being how good of reaching their potential. So I know that's a bit of a tangent, but Alana's been fantastic. Um, can't wait to see what she does. I, I don't think they'll play playoffs this year, um, so looking forward to seeing her in an Opals uniform. For the Olympic Games coming up in Paris, and moving forward to whatever she does in the WNBA offseason, off whether it's here or Europe.
1: Did you get swept up by the Matildas as well over this past uh, month? Yeah, I did.
0: I, I really did. And you know what? I I went to the first Boomers game, and you've done well here because I forgot to mention this when we're talking about the Boomers, and I was asked to speak at the pre-game at a pre-game event. Um, with a number of Boomers in the room, and you know Susie Bacaovich and, and Lauren Jackson, and everybody had been swept up by the Opals, and everybody was at Rod Laver Arena to watch the Boomers. And I've loved the Matilda's journey, and I can relate to it really, really closely because that was my Boomers experience. Incredible highs followed by not quite getting it done in the last two games and finishing fourth. It, it's a career highlight and a career low light all within a couple of weeks of each other. So I can relate. But what I can't relate to and what the boomers can't yet relate to, but they're getting close, is the success that the Opals were able to achieve when nobody was watching, or very few people were watching women's sport. And <coughs> I know that as the boomers, we aspired to be like the Opals. And there was the commentary back then that says, you know, when they won their World Cup gold medal, which was incredible, when they won Olympic silver. Yeah, but it's only against girls. Mm -hmm. That just doesn't exist. So my hope, I hope a couple of things from the Matildas. I hope that everybody who got caught up supporting the Matildas over the last month goes and buys a membership to their local a women's A-league team and supports them financially. So it's one thing saying they're great. It's another thing putting a few dollars behind them and actually supporting them. The the second part is I hope we talk more about the Opals as on the back of the Matildas and probably understand a little bit more about how great they were on a global scale long before as many people were talking about women's sport. And, you know, we've always said it in basketball circles, but... Lauren Jackson, to me, is the greatest basketball player of all time. Full stop. Yeah. It, it's, that's it, full stop. There's nothing else to add to that sentence. Nope. And I would love for any young boy or young girl or adult, for that matter, who followed the Matildas and followed Sam Kerr, go and Google Lauren Jackson and spend a couple of hours just appreciating what she was able to do and then, and then Google the Opals. And if you can find the highlights, follow a little bit of what they have done. I just reckon you'll find another team you might want to support just like you did the Matildas when the next Olympic Games roll around.
1: Yeah, uh, I I had the same thought as I was watching the Matildas. I was like, the Opals have been so good for so long. I wish they had the same coverage. The the Diamonds and Netball have been so good for so long. And they just won a world championship literally a month before, and didn't get the anywhere near the coverage. Um, yeah, uh, it was it was it was uh, fascinating watching the Matildas. Uh, I, th- I think it's the first time in my career that I'd uh, sat down and watched multiple uh, soccer matches in a row. Uh, I didn't even do that um, for the soccer Socceroos. Um, just because I, I've, yeah, I enjoyed watching them. I enjoyed, enjoyed what they did and their journey. And uh, like you said, as I was watching it and as it came to an end last night, my initial thought was with uh, guys like yourself who had come so close off the rise of popularity of, of, of winning, but then to lose those two games in a row to finish on fourth place. Uh, it would leave a bit of a sour taste in your mouth. It shouldn't take away from what they were able to achieve over this past month and, and what they were able to do. But that becomes now the bare minimum standard that we should expect from them going forward as it's they continue to grow.
0: as possible. <coughs> Correct. Possible. Hey, there's one more and there was a note here as well. The WNBA speaking just to just to keep talking about women's sport for just a little bit longer. Um I've always loved the term of shortening sentences, like I said with LJ. And then there are a number of things that... We, um, the shooting display that Sabrina Ionescu demonstrated at the WNBA All-Star Weekend was one of the greatest shooting exhibitions I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Full stop. And we commented at the time with a number of people that nobody that I heard of, and it's a little bit like the Matildas, a little bit like, yeah, nobody said they've done great for the WNBA or for Women's World Cup. It was just, that's incredible. That, you know, performances like Sabrina Ionescu just do wonders because that's an all-time historic moment in basketball, I think one of the greatest shooting, you know, would that beat Steph Curry? Probably, probably. Crazy, yep. crazy how good that shooting exhibition was. Um, let's come back to the NBL. Two really quick names for you. Jalen Adams and, and the Kings bringing Jalen Adams back. What do you think that does to their roster? Having lost Xavier Cooks and a little bit of a talent drain, no DJ this year, um, seems to me to be a really important sign.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think bringing back familiarity of, of a point guard that's won the MVP, Yeah, um, I mean, he's a, he's a great player. Uh, you say that it's been a talent draining. Um, they've definitely gained a lot as well in this offseason. I still So I shouldn't
0: say talent drain. I should say they've lost a lot of talent they've needed to replace.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and replace they have. Uh, the biggest question mark out of this entire team is still going to be Jonah Bolden and what that looks like at the end of, um, of, of how he fits into this team how he plays. Um, we know what Jalen Adams can do. We know what DJ Ho can do. We they've they, they've done really well in what they've replaced. Uh, the biggest question mark is what are they going to get out of Jonah Bolden and and what's what's his season going to look like? And uh, I think with all the other NBL teams getting a little bit better this off season. Uh, trying to chase the Kings. A lot of the Kings' three-peat hopes rest on the shoulders of what Jonah Bolden's able to do.
0: Speaking of improving, we, we won't go into it uh, here, but very strong word from people who know is that the Illawarra Hawks imports are absolutely better than advertised and will put them in positions to beat almost anyone in the league if they remain healthy. So that's another watch this space. But Melbourne United lost Joe luella Chua <coughs> Uh, to an injury which, you yeah, know, contrary to what we've probably heard, may rule him out for the entire season. Um, big rumour is still working to replace him with Duop Reith. Uh but they're a long, long way apart on financial elements of the contract. I mean, he seems to be, every time you watch the boomers, he would be a perfect fit for United, a perimeter. Big United need perimeter. They need talent. They need size. Uh but you can't blow the budget uh, to do that. So it'll be interesting to see if Duop Reith, if, if United are able to get that done with Duop, he's their number one choice. If not, you know they're going to have to go for a, an import big and they're as unreliable as anything. It's hard to find <laughs> to an import big. They're normally yeah. available for a reason.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, you know, from your coaching days and I know from my playing days, that getting a quality five-man import is, um, is hard to get. There's a reason they're, they're not. There's a reason that they're not on the market, and the good ones are usually snapped. They're either in the NBA, or they go to China, um, or they're in Euroleague. Um, so, be interesting to see. I, I hadn't heard that JLA's injury was that significant. They bring in Rob Lowe, fresh out of retirement, um, to uh, be the injury replacement. He's coming off a good season. He's coming off a very solid season with New Zealand Breakers. Do, um,
0: you the, do you wonder how an athlete's mindset is? I always found that once you've made the decision to retire, you're not fully invested. You have you know, you, you've, you've chosen... Unless you've, had,
1: unless you've had seven years off, in my instance. Um no, yeah, well, but no, no. I know exactly. Yeah, I know Tongue, in cheek.
0: Yeah, yeah, I know. I was going to give you shit about it. the comeback to the NBL one. It's not quite the same, but I'm glad. Yeah, okay. Um, but, but you know, once you've chosen it's too much to train every day to put your body through it again, um, I, I wonder how that looks. Yeah,
1: is it? That would be the first team in back-to-back seasons to pull someone out of retirement one week after they retired with David Barlow retiring the year before and then coming back and now Rob Lowe retiring and then a week later coming back. So, um, yeah, obviously, Duop Reith would be, geez, he'd be on the top of a lot of teams list now if, if, they were to, if he was willing to come back to the NBL, a lot of teams would want to have him after what they just saw over these past three games. Um, but they do have a lot of money already tipped into it when you've got people like bringing JLA in, in the first place, but Ian Clark, bringing Luke Travers over, bringing Matthew Delver Dover back. Like, there's a fair bit there already. Um, and Chris Golding as well, of course. But time will tell. Um, Dean Vickerman is one of the highly rated coaches in this league and I'm sure he'll make the right decision it won't be a snap decision uh, it'll be something that makes sense for United going forward um, it'll be a watch this space
0: May we're going to watch this space in the next couple of weeks with how the boomers go in the World Cup we'll watch this space as the NBA season draws near as well as the NBL but uh, there's plenty to catch up on uh, let's make sure we do these a little bit more regularly we, we do have a, a really fascinating guest uh, we're just trying to lock in a time to get him on and chat about basketball from a completely different perspective to what to what with or to how we see it so that's exciting for now that'll do we'll chat to you soon
1: cheers mate